Well, good evening, Church at Five. Good evening, Calvary Chapel, Freiburg. I'm coming to you this evening from the Heimathafen, and I'm welcoming you to church, welcoming you to take this time of fellowship together this evening. And uh, this is new for me. This is the first time that I'm preaching into a camera. It's the first time I'm preaching here in the Heimathafen. But I just want to encourage you, uh, the Lord is looking after us, the Lord is uh, carrying us uh, as his church, as his congregation. And so uh, I just thank you for joining us uh, this evening for church uh, in this format. I hope you had a blessed time of fellowship thus far, and I trust that the Lord will be blessing us as we open up his word this evening. So thanks to Brandon for uh, reading our text this evening, which was uh, Colossians 3:18 through 21. And it's our, our third week of looking at this text, what the Apostle Paul has to say about family relationships, specifically about marriage and bringing these relationships under the Lordship of Christ. Now famously, the uh, Greek philosopher Socrates, who died 399 BC, when asked about marriage, he said this, By all means marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. Tough call for his wife, uh, Xanthope, as uh, you may know, he was married. And indeed, if you've been paying attention in our culture over the last 20, 30, even longer years, you will note that marriage is held in almost universally low esteem in our culture. And this has been this way for a long time. What do I mean by that? It means marriage is something that we often make fun of, we make light of, we're sarcastic, ironic about. Uh, much comedy has been made at the expense of marriage. And this goes back uh, some way. Michel de Montaigne, uh, a philosopher at the time of the French Renaissance, he speaks for how many in our culture view marriage when he says a good marriage would be between a blind wife and a deaf husband. And yet we as Christians, I will argue tonight, should have a fundamentally different view of these things. Voltaire said, God created sex, priests created marriage. To which we as Christians must respond, no, indeed, our good Lord has created them both. So to start us off this evening, a certain wise man, speaking of those blessings which are most important in life, had this to say. He said, My soul takes pleasure in three things, and they are beautiful in the sight of the Lord and of men. Agreement between brothers, friendship between neighbours, and a wife and a husband who live in harmony, a wife and a husband who live in harmony, one of the most important and beautiful blessings for this certain wise man. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, as we read, last, read together last time, said this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. But rather than making light of this or being sarcastic about this or making corny jokes about it, he, say, he went on to say, this is a profound mystery. And I'm talking about or I am referring to Christ and the church. And so, as I said a moment ago, we come to our third Sunday evening looking at this text in Colossians, which again we can title in some way, uh, The Lordship of Christ Over Family Relationships. And we've been looking at the relationships of husband and wife in marriage under the Lordship, that is the authority of Christ. And these are, uh, I, I say again, profound and sacred things. And so, as we hear this text from Colossians this evening, I want to affirm right at the start what I said two weeks ago. This text is from God. It's inspired of the Holy Spirit. It's spoken by the Apostle Paul. And if it comes from God, if it comes through his Holy Spirit, know this, God loves his people. God loves you. 
And God does not command things for his people. God does not command things for us that harm us or hinder us. God is our good father. And as we saw last time, two evenings ago, two Sunday evenings ago, God created us as men and women, male and female. And he pronounced this at the beginning as very good. So let me repeat it. It's good to be a woman. It's good to be a man. God is the maker of sex. It's not going away. It's part of who we are. We are male and female all the way down. And the distinctions between the sexes are of God's good and loving design. So if you're a male, a man, you need to live like a man. And if you're a female, a woman, you need to live like a woman. And as I claimed two weeks ago, those two things are different. Now, last time we looked at what this text in Colossians says to husbands, uh, together with related texts in Genesis, Matthew's Gospel and Ephesians, amongst others. And we focused, we focused on what the New Testament calls in, in 1 Corinthians uh, the headship or the leadership of a husband. And if you didn't uh, hear that message or if you weren't there for it two weeks ago, I encourage you to pick it up uh, on the podcast. And so this evening I want to place the primary emphasis on chapter 3 and verse 18 of Colossians and look at what this text has to say to wives. So let's dive right in, as we say here on a Sunday evening, and ask the question, what then is the submission of a wife to her husband of which the Bible speaks, of which Paul is speaking here? And I'll just remind you, this is what our text says, Colossians 3, 18. Let me read 18 and 19 together so you can hold the two together. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the law. That's what we're looking tonight. And uh, the following command to husbands we looked at last time. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So what is this submission of which the Bible, of which God speaks here in his inspired word? Just, just taking the word in Greek, it is hupotasso, the verb. It simply means to submit, to order under. And that's also what the English word submit derived from the Latin, derived from the Latin means. It means to place under and therefore it has the sense of to, to yield to authority, to submit to an authority. And as I said in respect of headship last time, submission presupposes by its very nature an authority or leadership above it. That's what to submit means. I need an authority above me to which I submit. Otherwise, what can I submit to? That's what submit means. And that's how I got to headship, if you remember last time, from the Colossians text, because headship is not actually mentioned explicitly in Colossians. We got there implicitly by understanding that submit means to submit to an authority above. But what's implicit in Colossians is made explicit in Ephesians. So again, drawing on our sister text uh, for Colossians, in Ephesians 5 we read these verses. Ephesians 5 from verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands, sorry, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. There's headship, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So let's just ask the question again, why should wives submit to their own husbands? For this reason, the husband is the head of the wife. So then, follow this thought. The submission of a wife to her husband is the corollary, 
of the headship and leadership of her husband. That is to say, the submission of a wife is what follows on naturally from the leadership, from the headship of her husband. That's the biblical teaching, the biblical picture that Paul here presents. So submission is a response, it's an affirmation of a wife to her own husband's godly leadership or headship. But we also read in these verses in Ephesians what kind of submission that of the wife is. So yes, it's a response to godly leadership on the part of her husband, but what kind of submission is it? It is to be modelled on that of the church for Christ. Again, look with me at Ephesians 5 verse 24. Here's the link that Paul makes so very clear. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And as the church does this, so also. The church submitting to Christ, that's the pattern upon which the submission of the wife to her husband is modelled. And so I ask you, as I asked you uh, similarly last time, what characterises the relationship between Christ and the church and therefore the response of the church to our Lord Jesus Christ? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We continue to read in Ephesians 5.25. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So, as we saw last time, Christ loved the church and he loved her with a covenantal love. He gave himself up for her. He is indeed her saviour. And as we read in, as we read, I should say, in 1 John 4:19, we love, we respond in love because what Christ or God first loved us. So, love is the response of the church to her saviour, Jesus Christ, to her head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Love is the response. And therefore, the submission of the church to Christ is a response both to the love that Christ has shown for the church, and it's also a response out of love for Jesus Christ. And it takes the form of an affirmation or a recognition that Jesus Christ is Lord, and a disposition, that is an inclination to follow Jesus' leadership. You just think about every time we gather together as a church, we come to affirm in what we sing, in what we pray, in what we speak, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord, and we do that out of love, responding to the love he has shown us. And not only do we say it, but we also have as the church an inclination, a disposition, a desire to follow Christ's leadership to live as he would have us live. And because it's a response out of love, uh, it is given gladly, with all joy, freely, it's not coerced. Our worship of God, our, our response to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, as the head of us as the church, is a response of love which is given gladly, with all joy, freely, not coerced. It's very hard, I think, and I think you'll agree with me if you think about it, when we come together to kind of sing worship songs through gritted teeth in bitterness and resentment and anger. That's not how we respond as the church to Christ. We respond gladly, with all joy, freely, not coerced. Listen to, <coughs> listen to how John Chrysostom 
a uh, 4th century Christian pastor and, and, and uh, teacher talks about this love, relating it, the love again from Christ and the church to husband and wife. He says this, There is no influence more powerful than the bond of love, especially for husband and wife. A servant, he says, can be taught submission through fear, but even he, if provoked too much, will soon seek his escape. But one's partner for life, the mother of one's children, the source of one's every joy, should never be fettered with fear or threats, but with love and patience. What kind of marriage can there be when the wife is afraid of her husband? What sort of satisfaction could a husband himself have if he lives with his wife as if she were a slave and not a woman by her own free will? And so his word to husbands is this, suffer anything for her, your wife's sake, but never disgrace her. Why? For Christ never did this with the church. I want you to again see the link here in in Christian thought and teaching going all the way back to the time of the apostles. Christ and the church, the relationship between Christ as the head, the church as the body, profoundly affects the relationship between husband and wife. It's our our paradigm for understanding what Christian marriage is. So, just as the headship of the husband is modelled on Christ's love for the church, as we read in Ephesians, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, so also submission is modelled on Christ and the church. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything, Paul says. So in light of this foundational understanding of love, both the giving of love and the responding in love, which is foundational to understand Christian teaching on marriage, let me now give you a definition of submission, hubertasso, as I did for headship last time. Just to remind you, the definition of headship I gave, I said that it is, headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility and initiative for Christ-like servant leadership, protection and provision in the home as Christ did for the church. There's the link. So then, a definition of submission. Submission is the divine calling on a wife in responding to Christ's love to affirm her husband's headship and to follow his leadership. And I add this now to anchor it back to Ephesians so you can see where this is coming from, as the church does for Christ. Submission, let me repeat it for you, submission is the divine calling on a wife in responding to Christ's love to affirm her husband's headship and to follow his leadership as the church does for Christ. So this calling of submission means that, as one commentator on Colossians puts it, Quote, the wife puts herself under her husband in recognising and living out an order which is established by God himself within the marriage relationship. And the reason I say, end quote, and the reason I say in responding to Christ's love um, is because submission of this kind is the kind of behaviour, as we read in our verse, Colossians 3.18, which is fitting in the Lord. That is fitting, that is appropriate to those who live in the sphere of the the reign and the authority and the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what the second half of verse 18 means. Wives, submit your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So let me now unpack this definition for you briefly. Note, firstly, like headship, submission is a divine calling or state or status on, a divine calling on or a state of a wife. That is, is a calling, if we say it's divine, it's a calling given by God and therefore to be freely acquiesced to, responded to. It's not something that may be demanded by right by a husband. Again, it's a response out of love for Christ. It's a response of the wife, not necessarily out of love for her husband, although wives should love their husbands, but it's a response on the part of the wife out of love for her Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, it is given gladly with all joy, freely, not coerced. And in defining submission as a calling, Again, we move away from the idea that it is a set of behaviours or, or even competencies, a set of things you do. It's neither of these things. And, as with all things, submission calls for wisdom. Biblical wisdom is the ability to know God's principles and to apply them in life situations. So submission is not a mechanical set of behaviours. It's a calling and therefore it requires wisdom, the application of biblical principles in everyday situations in order to be lived out wisely, joyfully, intelligently. That's the first thing. Note, note secondly here, uh, in our text in Colossians, that the, the difference that God commands wives to submit to their husbands, but if you look down uh, one verse later in, in verse uh, 21, you'll see that he commands children to obey their parents. And therefore, there is a difference between submission and obedience. Let me say here, parents can and should require the obedience of their children. And I think for some, some parents, you need to hear that. You can and you should require the obedience of their children. I know it's not so always easy. But the submission of a wife is very different to the obedience of children to their parents, which is often misunderstood. The submission of a wife to her husband is something freely given. Why? Because, as, uh, as Peter writes in, in 1 Peter 3.7, both the husband and the wife together are fellow heirs of the gracious gift of life through our Lord Jesus Christ. So obedience, the obedience, for example, of children, naturally fits a situation in which orders are being issued. So, you know, slaves to masters, soldiers and commanders, and children and parents. Orders are being issued and which the party obeying here, the children, has little choice in the matter. But submission, on the other hand, suggests a voluntary willingness to recognise and put oneself under the leadership of another. And, to keep going, this calling consists in affirming a husband's headship and following his leadership. That was my definition. This calling consists in affirming a husband's headship and following his leadership. And again, I just want to anchor that back for you in the text in Ephesians. This is what we do as a church to Christ. We affirm the lordship of Christ joyfully and gladly and we follow his leadership. So, let me briefly explain what these are. Affirming your husband's headship means a couple of things. Firstly, that you recognise and honour the order 
that God has built into marriage right from the beginning, right from the creation. You recognize and honor the differences between men and women, the differences between husbands and wives. Not only do you recognize these things and honor them, however, what is actually called for is that we love these things. We see their beauty, their profundity, and we celebrate these things as gifts from a gracious, loving, all-wise God. And therefore we accept these things. We accept that this is the way the world is. Not, not resentfully, not, I wish it were different, but gladly, joyfully, happily, as a gift from God and as an essential part of God's revealed will for your life. So you don't stubbornly fight against it and resent it and fall into bitterness and shake your fist at God. That's not affirmation. And secondly, affirming your husband's leadership means that you recognize and you expect your husband, you have a, an ex, an, a sense or, or a, an inclination or a, a disposition, an attitude of expectation that your husband will exercise that primary responsibility and initiative uh, in your marriage, in your home, as Christ did for the church. You expect your husband to be following Christ at that point. And following, secondly, so that was affirming your husband's headship, and now, secondly, following your husband's leadership doesn't mean, and uh, Brandon talked about this, uh, Pastor Brandon, in his message as we went through First Peter on a Sunday evening, uh, back on the 20th of January in 2019, following your husband's leadership doesn't mean, as Brandon said, always agreeing with your husband, or turning off your brain, or simply saying, yes, dear, whatever you say, dear. Sorry. <laughs> no way. Rather, it means you support your husband's leadership. You welcome it and you use your gifts, your talents, to carry it through for the good of your family, the good of your household, and the glory of God. As one uh, commentator puts it, when men are doing, when Christian men are doing what God calls Christian men to do in a relationship and they're doing it rightly, biblically, most women love it and are happy to respond to it supportively. So having looked a bit now at uh, our definition of submission, let me move on to some practicalities of this. As I did last time, I tried to give you some practicalities of uh, headship or leadership as well. And there's a lot of tie-ins between this message and the last message, as you see, because I wanted to, to spend uh, you know, one sermon on each of them, just looking at them, and there's a lot of tie-ins uh, all through the message. So again, as I said last time, let me say at the outset, some people had asked me, um, how do you, Sam and your wife, you do, how do you do this? How do you live this out in your marriage? Don't just give us the theory here or the ideal when you don't measure up to the ideal in any real way. So I do want to say that uh, this is the way, this is how Judith and I live out our marriage. We, we, we don't always do it perfectly, of course, but it's our firm resolution to live in light of these truths and in light of these, these practicalities which, which follow now. So what are some helps for understanding submission in practice? What are some helps for understanding submission in practice? As I said a moment ago, Submission is a divine calling. It's not a set of behaviours. And as a calling, it is primarily a calling, a calling of response, of responding to initiative and leadership of another, your husband. 
just as the calling of the church is to respond to the leadership and the headship of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the link up again. So that means I can't give you a list of 10 things to do on a Monday morning and that's submission. Do those things on Monday and you're done. That's not how it works. But what I can do is give you a few things which will help you to honour Christ as you seek to live this out with biblical wisdom. So firstly, I've got three things for you here this evening. Firstly, Ephesians 5.33, just at the end of this great text in Ephesians, Paul concludes by saying, the wife must respect her husband. So yes, this is a biblical command, but it's also a great help and in fact key in many ways to successful, joyful submission. Something that I've observed in my life, and I don't think I'm the only one, is that many women are fully capable of loving a man, staying with a man, staying in a relationship, sacrificing for him, and all the time they think he's an absolute jerk. I don't know if you've experienced that. That's something that I've certainly experienced, that women are good at loving men even while they think they're complete morons. Let's use another word. Can it be that, something I've also experienced, as Christian women meet together, maybe they even meet together for prayer, maybe they even meet together for Bible study, that they, while they're meeting together to do these things, they might speak about their husbands in a most disrespectful way. And then what do they do? They might even then hurry home to cook, clean and care for his kids. Why do they do this? Well, because they love their husbands. So the problem at this point is not love, it's respect. It's good for wives to love their husbands. I hope that's a non-controversial statement. But the problem at this point is not love, it's respect. You see, if the Bible commands wives to respect their husbands, then I think we can infer from that that husbands need respect. But it's not my point today to talk about why husbands might need respect or not. My point here is simply this. It's very, very difficult to submit to your husband, that is to affirm his headship, to follow gladly his leadership, if you have no respect for the guy. How will you flourish under his leadership if you have... (coughs) Sorry, how will you flourish under his leadership and gladly follow him if you have no respect for him? How will you trust him? So the first practical advice I can give you is this. You need to be able to respect your husband. What does that mean in practice? How he runs his life, how he presents himself. So how he runs his life, is he disciplined? Does he get up, get up in the morning at a similar time? Does he go to bed at a similar time? Does he look after himself? Does he exercise? Does he take care of himself? Does he um, bring some strategy to the table when he uh, looks at his life? How he presents, how he dresses, how he speaks, uh, the way in which he speaks. Uh, The level of language he uses. How does he make decisions? What's his process for deciding things? Is he very spontaneous? Is he uh, non-responsive? Does he just say, oh yeah, whatever? Or does he think things through? How does he think things things through? If you think about those things and you think, oh, I just can't respect that, then that's going to be a problem. You're going to find it very hard to submit. So the first practical advice I can give you is this. You need to be able to respect your husband. Secondly, and this is uh, also key, 
you need to let go of the idea. And this is not just something directed at wives, I should say. This is something that a lot of us, certainly in our modern society, also in the church, need to understand. We need to let go of the idea that leadership means superior value or superior competency or even that leadership means the leader does it all. Let me explain. Thoughts like this are wrong and I I generalise them here to move them slightly away from just the setting of wives and husbands because, again, they apply outside of that but they're also a very great help for understanding this principle of submission. So thoughts like this are wrong. Because that person's the leader, then they're better than me. They're worth more than me. That's wrong. That's not a correct thought. That's not logically true. But, and many of us don't say this out loud, but this is in fact what's going on in our minds. This is the way we view leadership. That person's the leader, therefore they must be better than me or they're worth more than me or therefore a person who has leadership is somehow worth more. That's wrong. That's not biblical. Or another thought. Because that person can do that task well, or they have a gift for that, therefore they should be the leader. Because that person can do that task well, you know, they're really good at managing that, they're really good at speaking there, they're really good at teaching that, they're really good at playing there, therefore they should be the leader, the leader of that ministry, the leader of that you know, area of work. Again, uh, that's wrong. That is pragmatism. That is the philosophy of pragmatism, basically, reduced to two words, whatever works. And that is foreign to the Bible. That's not how the Bible views leadership. But let me just tell you, this thinking, pragmatism, is rife. That means it's everywhere in evangelical churches. Where in so many churches, gifting supposedly, a supposed gift, is the be-all and end-all of spiritual qualifications. If you have the gift, then you can do the ministry, you can be the leader. The biblical model is completely different. The biblical model is a model based on character, firstly, on who we are as people and as Christians and as followers of Jesus, not based on gifting. And it's also... Just to be very brief about this, it is office-based, not gift-based. Being a husband or a wife is about having an office. As a husband or a wife, you are an office holder. You are not just a random individual. You You bear the office of husband or of wife. It's not just about gifting. If it was just about gifting, then anyone could be a husband, even another woman. Oops. Now a third thought that we often think which is wrong. We think if if that person's the leader, then that means they get to do it all. They get to, you know, do all the all the good stuff, all the important stuff. Again, wrong. That's not biblical. The purpose of leaders, and we see this right throughout the Old Testament, right, going back to Moses and uh, his leadership over Israel, all the way through to the New Testament. The purpose of leaders is to see different gifts, different competencies, different strengths and then maximise them to bring them together to achieve the vision and the mission of the church or the organisation or whatever it might be. 
And so when it comes to Christian marriage, it is part of the office of being husband to have that leadership, of seeing the gifts and competencies within the family and bringing them together to maximise them for the mission, to fulfil the mission of the, house, of the household and the family in order to glorify God. But that doesn't mean that the husband is therefore worth more than a wife or that he's even more competent than she is in everything or that he should do everything himself. Finally, and I say this not only in respect of marriage but to all Christians, this is a, a third practical help for you to think about submission. Submission is an essentially Christian attitude. All believers submit to God. The church submits to Christ. Christians should submit to their leaders. Younger men, the New Testament says, submit to older men. Children are to submit to their parents. Wives to their husbands. And on it goes. And so at the same time as submission is essential to Christian faith and practice, it's also despised in our modern Western culture. We, don't, we are not a culture that enjoys glad joyful, intelligent submission. And therefore, I want to encourage us all, all of us, uh, to not only accept submission from God, but also learn to love it. And listen uh, with me, if you will, to what Thomas Akempis, writing in the 14th century, had to say about this. He says in his book, The Imitation of Christ, it is an excellent thing to live in submission to a leader and not to be one's own master. It's much safer to submit than to rule. And then he goes on to observe this. Many people live in submission more of necessity than of love. They don't love it. They have to, but they don't love it. And such people, therefore, are often discontented and complaining. And then his words of insight here. They will never attain freedom of mind unless they submit with their whole heart. Why? For the love of God. Go where you please, he says, but nowhere will you find rest except in humble submission under the rule of a leader. I could go on, but let me leave it there. They will never attain freedom of mind, says Thomas, unless they submit with their whole heart for the love of God. And I just want to say, friends, this is the way God has made the world. Christ himself submitted to the will of the Father. This is the way it's wired. This is the way it's put together. This is, therefore, true freedom. True freedom is not unrestrained independence or autonomy, but true freedom is that which takes God's reality and God's purpose for creation into account and then seeks to fit smoothly into God's good design. Freedom does include doing what we want to do. But the mature and wise Christian doesn't seek this freedom by bending reality to fit their desires. They seek it by being transformed in the renewal of their desires to fit with God's perfect will. The greatest freedom is found in being so changed by God's spirit that you can do what you love to do and know that it conforms to the design of God and leads to life and glory, says one commentator. So therefore, I encourage you, you need to be able to, as a wife, coming back to our, to our wives now, you need to be able to respect your husband. Don't, don't fall into the modern era of conflating leadership with superior worth or competency or agency. Learn to love submission. 
as part of our identity as Christians how God has made the world. Trust in God and enjoy true freedom. Think of it when a master pianist plays the piano. What is true freedom? True freedom is not being free of all the laws of music and simply sitting down at a piano and bashing the keys any old which way. That is chaos and, as we say from the Greek, cacophony. Rather, true freedom is in submitting to the way music is built, the way music is made, submitting to the laws of harmony and symphony and being able to sit down at a piano and play a beautiful concerto. That is true freedom. So let me finish now very briefly with some advice to young men and women, as I did this last time. My advice to young women is to find a man whom you respect, who is your intellectual and spiritual equal and who recognises his calling is to further the kingdom of God and he's pursuing that calling for the glory of Christ. You need to find such a, such a man. And if you can't respect him and you can't follow his leadership, don't marry him. My advice to young men is to find a woman who is content with who she is in Christ and happy, indeed joyful, that God has made her who she is. Find a woman who will gladly and willingly follow you as you follow Christ. And in both cases, to both young men and young women, I give this advice. Find someone whose devotion to God is such that they're willing to seek the Lord's will and willing to change, even if that's uncomfortable. And I can tell you this from experience. It's, it's not easy to be around people who think they already know it all and are unwilling and unable to seek or hear the Lord's will and change. That would be my advice to young men and women. So as we reach the end for this evening, let me remind you of Paul's words on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Every Christian marriage is designed to communicate and announce the love of Jesus Christ for the church. That is, the people of God gathered from all tongues, tribes and nations. Every Christian marriage is designed to communicate and announce the love of Christ for the church. Husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. So let me invite you now to communicate the gospel with your marriage clearly, beautifully, indeed gloriously, with all joy. That's the purpose of your marriage. And if you're not married yet, then let that be the purpose of marriage that you, that you recognise even now and begin to work towards. The purpose of your marriage is the announcement of the gospel and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me now give the last word to John Chrysostom. We heard him before from the 4th century. Let these words uh, accompany you as we end tonight. He says this in this wonderful little book here. The love of husband and wife is the force that welds society together. Men will take up arms and even sacrifice their lives for the sake of this love. St. Paul would not speak so earnestly about this subject without serious reason. Why else would he say, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord? Because when harmony prevails and children are raised well, the household is kept in order and neighbours, friends and relatives praise the result. Great benefits both for families and for states, for nations, 
are thus produced. And in this way, each man, together with his wife and children, will be able to finish the course of this life without fear and to enter the kingdom of heaven, which may we all attain by the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom the Father be glory and might, together with the holy and life-giving Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Well, thank you for opening up the Word of God uh, with me, with us here at Church at Five uh, this evening on this Sunday, the 22nd of March, the fourth Sunday in Lent. I encourage you to stay in fellowship now and uh, if you're in a family or maybe in your um, share, your flat share or your apartment, uh, then take some time to reflect uh, on the message uh, this evening. Let me close now with a prayer and then a blessing. Join me with you. Join me, will you, as we pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your care and providence, your authority and rule over this world, even in these strange and turbulent times. We thank you that you have created us as men and women. You have created marriage. It is your good design. We thank you that you have given it to us as a gift to bless us, to give us great joy, uh, great satisfaction, Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have come near to us. You have taken on flesh and become one of us. You have drawn so near to us, you know our experience. You know what it is to live as a human being on this earth. You know what it is to know fear, to know isolation, to know loneliness, to be overwhelmed by events. We thank you that we can come to you in this time and receive comfort from you in our time of need. And we thank you, Lord, for your great love for us and for our response of love to you. And that 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 indeed is the paradigm and should be the paradigm for all our marriages. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are our comforter, you are the giver of life. And we ask you in this time to be with us, be with us as a fellowship, be with us as a church, be with us as churches here in our city and indeed around the world. Give us your comfort, give us your guidance, and give us your wisdom. Hold us together with the bond of unity that you, that you provide. So we pray these things now. We pray them to our Lord, our Father in heaven, through Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me finish now, finally, and then I'll let you guys go, uh, with a blessing from Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. May you be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. Be blessed. Look out for uh, updates coming this week and we'll see you next Sunday as we continue through Colossians here at Church at Five.